0: I want to just say I, after three weeks being gone, I was so excited to be back and then I got hit with this thing and was down with fever on Sunday and man, we had a preacher that stepped in. amen right. And you know it's, it's probably a, it, it is a good thing that you hear from others here than just myself because you need to understand, uh, the depth of what God has given to us in the house. And so you heard Jonathan, you heard, uh, what's his name back here? Yeah. A, the jack of all trades. Woo! He plays piano. I think he probably does cartwheels too. I don't know. He, But uh, he, watch out now. But he did a great job and I so appreciate it. And, it, it, and I'm proud of him and I'm proud of Jonathan and everybody that steps up and and uh, fills in—it was good. Amen. I'm almost totally better. I'm not contagious. I don't want you to be weird around me. I'm good, but Sunday I had a fever. I had a fever Sunday, so um, you know this thing's going around. But uh, I, I'm good. So if I blow your direction, don't worry about it. All right. Um. Now, I want us to stand, and we're going to pray, because tonight we're going to finish out. We're, well, we're not finishing tonight, but we're on the final stretch of our little journey through the letters that burn, and I think the one we're starting tonight burns more than all of them, and that is the little one-chapter letter of Jude. Oh, this thing cooks. I can see the steam coming off the pages, the smoke coming off the pages. It's, it's very, very relevant to all of us. And I want us to give our visitors a hand. Can we, can we do that? We have some visitors here tonight that I've met. And um, I so appreciate all the visitors that are here. And uh, by the way, here, here's a quick praise report because we're all so busy. Are you busy? I'm busy. Are you all busy? Do you feel like life is passing you by as the world turns and you're dealing with all your children you got your own little Peyton place going on. You got it? Yeah. So, but I like to kind of make you aware of what we're doing and how God is using Turning Point. Because I was told tonight, I didn't know this. But now our broadcast is in 67 countries. Think about that. And so what happens right here in a little old turning point right here? It's going out and touching people in 67 countries. On um, pray.com, we have just shy of 200,000 followers and three-quarters of a million listens. So now I, that's only a part of our vision. We're all about the greatest commission. A lot of commissions, but there's one greatest one. And that's the one Christ gave us, all right? Go make disciples, preach the gospel, baptizing them, and so on and so forth. And we're doing that. The outreach is only a part of the greatest commission. But I want to bring you up to speed so you can know that when it comes to outreach, we're reaching more people easily than I've ever reached in my life. At a time when I don't remember it ever being darker out there. I mean, if ever there was a need for the word of God to go forth, can I have an amen? It's now. It's now, right? So when you give that tithe, you put that, those dollars in, you, you which represent time off of your life, time and labor off your life, I want you to understand where it's going and how many it's reaching. It's really getting out there. All right. All right. Amen. So, like Brian, Pastor Brian here, who is gonna, I'm, I'm going to bring up at the end, let him pray over us, but he was saying, now you've got to go into other languages. We need to go into Spanish quick and, and get, translate the messages into Spanish. Gloria, adios. adios. Gloria, adios. And that's about all I know. Hallelujah. <laughs> Gloria, adios. No, I know a little bit more. All right. So, tonight, let's pray over Jude. Lord, we come to this powerful letter that you gave to Jude, Lord, and and your spirit spoke through him. It's relevant to our day and time, and I pray that tonight it will speak to the house of God. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us in the faith, sound, healthy, mature, growing, um, effective, influential. In a day when so many people, Lord, don't know their right hand from their left. Don't know where they're going. Lord, help us to be a light shining. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, Jude. Hey, Jude. <laughs> That's the closest to a Beatles quote I'm ever going to get. Hey, Jude. All right. So let's learn. Let's do some Bible study. Let me give you a little bit of background like I always do with these uh, different letters. Jude was written to counter apostasy. And apostasy is the abandonment of the faith. It's not backsliding, it's different. The apostate has totally renounced the faith. They have walked away and they want nothing to do with it. They They have shed any vestige of the faith in Jesus Christ. All right? So he's writing to counter it, which all the epistles take part in, but one, and that's Philemon. But all of the other epistles in the New Testament, they all deal, at least in part, with countering false teaching and apostasy. So it must matter. Amen? False teachers were everywhere. Apostasy had reared its ugly head as soon as the church was born. Within a decade or two, apostasy was uh, really growing. False teachers uh, everywhere. uh, And one of the most damning teachings that I can just point out real quickly was called Gnosticism.
1: This is what Jude is concerned about. It's what John was concerned about. Gnosticism. Now,
0: Gnosticism was a teaching based on the Greek word "gnosis," all right, "gnosis," and that was the Greek word for knowledge. So here's what the Gnostics were claiming, and all cults do this: they were claiming to have a secret knowledge of God. Oh, we've got an inside track. We know what no one else knows. And if you want to be in the know, you need to become a part of us. Okay. That was the Gnostics. So everybody say Gnostic. Gnostic. Here's some of the things they taught, and this was galloping, beginning to gallop when Jude wrote this letter. They taught that salvation was attained not by the shed blood of Jesus, but by this secret knowledge
1: that one could only attain by joining the Gnostics, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm just, that's our modern day examples. Um, And that's a sure sign of
0: cultism. When you say you've got an inside track, that's cultism. Gnostics further believe that matter, that is, you're sitting in a chair, that's matter. Whether it be the physical universe or the human uh, body was
1: evil. That anything made of matter was evil. The physical universe was evil. They taught that God did not create the material universe. But it was instead
0: created by an evil or a lesser God. In spite of all this,
1: Gnostics said, oh yeah, we're Christians. Oh yeah, we're Christians. So folks, you can be way
0: out there and say you're a Christian. Just because somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian, that doesn't mean they mean what you mean or you think they mean. Because it's almost like everybody's Christian. Oh, yeah, yeah. You you, you see these polls taken by Barna and other pollsters that are Christian pollsters. And so many people in America say, oh, yeah, I'm
1: Christian. Really? And describe your lifestyle to me? No. But everybody's a Christian. Christian, Chevy, apple pie, mom. All right.
0: They saw Jesus as a heavenly messenger, but they rejected the Christian message of God becoming incarnate, and that is core to the Christian faith. God wrapped himself in skin in the person of Christ. He became a man dying and rising bodily, literally. Literally bodily. Not figuratively, not metaphorically, But literally, bodily, Jesus got up from the dead. Crazy as their belief system was, by the time of the second century, Gnosticism was everywhere in the civilized world. Gnosticism was galloping. It had penetrated parts of the church, and it was making strong headway. So this was a major issue. And you'll note If you know anything about church history, there's always been something like Gnosticism. Some belief system, totally unbiblical, that weaves its way into the local church, into the the Church of Christ, and corrupts it, deceives it, steals from it, affects it, undermines it, damages it. A belief system. Gnosticism was first century. Believe me, we've got our Gnosticisms in the 21st century. Our weird belief systems that have nothing, they're not biblical at all. And they've infiltrated the church because the church is not being taught the whole word of God. So Christians don't recognize it when they see it and hear it. Now, it goes without saying that saying that These teachings, like the Gnostic teaching, uh, when it was accepted, it destroyed the foundation of Christianity. Because if Jesus didn't come in the flesh, then there was no incarnation. There was no only begotten Son. And so the, the whole crux and core of Christianity is pulled up by the roots. And that was the danger of Gnosticism. Jude was keenly aware of it. John keenly aware of it. Paul keenly aware of it. Peter keenly aware of it. So Jude decides, I got to talk about it. I'm moved by the Holy Spirit to address this. And so he writes the smallest letter in all of the epistles. There's no smaller letter than Jude. But like I said at the beginning, I don't think there's one that's any hotter. Now, a lot of people feel that Jude's letter is meant by God to be the precursor to the book of Revelation because it so easily leads into Revelation, the Revelation. So whether or not God intended it to be the precursor, it has been put right before the book of Revelation. In the book of Jude and the book of Revelation, both we witness the approach of end times judgments Billy Graham's book, he called it The uh, Approaching Hoofbeats. The rapture is near as you read Jude and Revelation. The rapture is near. The darkness is deepening. And the signs of the times are rapidly unfolding right in front of you. Yet Jude's letter is going to focus on one thing more than anything else. He's going to focus on this whole problem of apostasy. The apostasy that we've already mentioned, and apostasy again, is not backsliding. The backslider is a true believer who gets caught up in some sin and walks away. And God eventually takes them to the woodshed and whoops them where they run back to God. But the apostate, no. The apostate denounces it, renounces it, walks away from it, wants nothing to do with it, and... That is what this Gnosticism was helping to bring about. So Jude answers it. Now, there's no question he was alarmed about it. The success of it, the scope of the apostasy that was taking place. And and i got to tell you, folks, people ask me, well, what do you see for the last days before the coming of Christ? Well, I believe that God can send revival. There is no question that Bible prophecy predicts widespread apostasy. In the last days. And are we not seeing it? Oh, come on, church. We're watching whole denominations that used to be the ground and pillar of the truth. Throw the Bible out the window. Do you know that the Methodist Church, and I'm not going to stay on this long, but the United Methodist Church that has decided to embrace homosexuality, same-sex marriage, and ordaining homosexuals that they have lost over 6,000 churches that have defected from them because they will not move off of this
1: unbiblical stand? And it's growing all the time? 6,000 is a lot of churches.
0: But willing to let that go? To stand on something that's
1: not in the Bible? How do you spell apostasy? I spell it that way. So he writes with intense earnestness.
0: The Spirit of God moves on him to warn the church about these false teachers. And though it's very brief, his letter covers a lot of territory. Let me give you, let me break it down. Verse five, sobering judgment. Verse six, satanic invasion. Verse seven, sexual perversion. Verses eight to ten, social upheaval. Verse 11, first half, spiritual distortion. 11, second half, Semitic persecution. The third part of verse 11, self-expression. Verses 12 to 13, strong delusion. 14 to 15, secular humanism. And then verse 16, subversive criticism. All those things are covered in this liberty letter. Penned by Jude moved on by the Holy Ghost. We don't know exactly who Jude's target audience was, like we know, for instance, who James was writing to, because he tells us, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So we know his target audience. We don't know Jude's target audience. Of course, my belief is, is to all of us. But he didn't have a specific that day target audience that we know anything about. So let's begin our journey through Jude. Verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James. Now, Jude is without question the Jude mentioned in the Gospels in verses like Matthew 13, 55. Let me read it. They're asking about Jesus, uh, the Jewish, the Jews of his day. He's doing all these miracles, and they're going, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, plural, he had four, James, Joseph, Simon, and
1: Judas. So he had four half bros, no full bros. There was only one
0: Jesus. He had no earthly daddy, so, he was, so all of his bros were half bros, but he had four. Now Judas... That's Jude. Now, uh, commentators have surmised that the reason he calls himself Jude and not Judas is because of who it was connected to, the infamy of the terrible betrayer Judas. So Judas, Jesus' half-brother, said, I believe I'll shorten my
1: name so that I'm not called that name. So he called himself Jude. Jude. There you go. Jeffrey, short Jeff. Jonathan, short John. Judas, short Jude.
0: The author of Jude was the Lord's half-brother. He's mentioned last in every listing, which likely points to his being the youngest of the four half-brothers of Jesus. So he was the little bro, the little half-bro. Jude was almost certainly married, because in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, we read Paul saying, do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So he's, the brothers, he means the four, and clearly all of them were married. I'm just throwing that out. Maybe it matters to you, maybe it doesn't, that Jude was married. It's a powerful thing to note that Jude refers to himself as the servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this touches me.
1: Because look at the total absence of ego. Because here, he's calling who he grew up with my Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. My Lord Jesus Christ. And not only my Lord, but I'm his servant. I'm his servant. Jesus has become infinitely more to him than
0: the one he grew up with. He's had a revelation since then, folks. If you recall, there was a day when Jude, along with his Other brothers and sisters, you'll remember this, and Mary herself had stood outside a place where Jesus was teaching, and they they asked to see him based on their family relationship. And Jesus responded by saying something that sounded kind of hard. He said, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my brother, that's my sister, and that's my mother. Well, it says in, I think, John's Gospel, they were on the outside saying to themselves, he's lost his mind. To his brothers that he grew up with, these four half-brothers, initially they thought he had lost his marbles. That he had gone crazy with some kind of a messianic complex. But no, he was the real deal. And he ended up calling him, my Lord, Jesus Christ. Wow. Now he next says three crucially important things about our salvation. To those who are, I want you to say these with me. To those who are called, read it with me, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Three beautiful words there. I'm not going to linger long on them. But they describe our salvation. And here they are. Called. Called. That means invited. If I call you, say you want to go to dinner, I just called you. I'm inviting you. I'm summoning you. We were all summoned by God uh, to salvation. And by the grace of God, we accepted. So say with me again, called. Now say, I'm called. Now, sanctified. That means to be set apart or separated from the evils of this world for a special purpose. I have China in my house and I have paper plates in my house. If I have kids over, I do not give them hot dogs on China. I give them hot dogs on paper plates. All right? As a believer, you are not a paper plate. You are China. God has you set in the China cabinet. You're in God's, God's, uh, you are God's daily workmanship. And when he gets ready to do something that he's going to do that is holy and powerful and him
1: moving in the earth, He pulls out the china. You, who's been set apart for a special purpose. Amen? Amen. And then preserved.
0: Means to be, I love that one, means to be spiritually guarded and kept intact. How many of you say, I need him to keep me intact these days, right? He keeps you intact. Uh, As a matter of fact, this word preserved, it's worth a longer look real quickly. Jude says we're preserved in Jesus Christ. How are we preserved in Jesus Christ? The phrase, in Christ, is one of the greatest phrases and truths in the whole New Testament. In Christ. For instance, we're told in Romans 8.1, there is therefore no no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, He's a new creation. Old has passed away, all has become new. All the blessings of salvation become ours the moment we are in Christ. When you hear the gospel, you're out of Christ. When you hear the gospel and you say, Lord, forgive me, you are instantly in Christ. And when you are placed in Christ, all the blessings
1: he died to give you are yours. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it's because of him, God,
0: that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Everything changes for you and me the moment we place our faith in Christ. I did it at 16 years old in a juvenile detention center. Jeff Wickwire that was ceased to be. I stepped over. I went through a door the door of salvation. I was one way. I was dead in my sins and when I went through the door and shut it behind me, I'm in Christ. My sins are washed away and all that God had for me was mine now. You're in Christ. You're either in or you're out. You're never on a fence. You're in or you're out when it comes to being in Christ. To place your faith in Christ is to be immediately in Him and then He places you into the body of Christ. So you and I are a part of Turning Point Church, but we're also a part of the church universal. Right? Let me take this a little bit further because we need to understand this is powerful. One major difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is in the Old Testament, you had to be in a place, the promised land. In the New Testament, you've got to be in a person, the Lord Jesus
1: Christ. In the Old Testament, they were called to be in Canaan. In the New Testament, we're called to be in Christ. The promised land was where all the blessings God had for them existed. In Christ is where all the blessings God has for us exist. In Christ. The very perfect
0: picture, I can't think of a better one, of what it means to be in Christ is Noah's Ark. When he and his family got in, everybody say in, In. because everybody else was outside looking in, Now that crazy old dude down the road building that boat where there's no water, okay, they were out of the ark. You were either out or you were in. When that rain started falling, you were out or you
1: were in. When he and his family got in the ark, they were preserved from God's wrath. Were they not?
0: Because what was God's wrath? It began to rain. The winds began to howl. The lightning began to flash. And the rain became a deluge. And the water raised up. And that boat, that ark was beaten and tossed
1: and received the full brunt of that storm. But those that were in it weren't touched. God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul
0: says in Thessalonians. So the storms of judgment fell on the ark, not on them. And when, listen, when God's judgments begin to fall during the great tribulation period, guess who's going to be safe? Everybody who is Christ. Come on, everybody. God's wrath
1: fell on Jesus. And not on us he took it on the cross thank you lord now next
0: jude blesses us with one of the bible's favorite trilogy of words he says mercy peace and love be multiplied to you think of it like this mercy is the upward look
1: peace is the inward look love is the outward look all right so say with me mercy i'm looking upward give me mercy lord Peace is happening
0: inward. Thank you, Lord. And love, I'm looking out. And listen, this is the order in which they happen. Because first we look up and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And he has mercy. And he puts you in Christ. And then you experience the peace of God inward. And then you're able to love people outward. Because you can't give what you don't have. And when you receive the love of God, you've got something you can go dole out to a dying world. So God's mercy precedes His peace, and His peace precedes His love. Isn't that beautiful? But get ready, everybody, because these first two verses are like fresh water before burning fire. All right, so here we go. These first two verses that are so pleasant precede. A declaration of war against apostasy and false teachers. Starting in verse 3, we're presented with a mighty clash between good and evil, right and wrong. We're made very aware of the desperate plea from Jude to take a stand against the godless, false, destructive, and erroneous teaching attacking the church. Let me ask you, do we today have the kind of passion Jude had When he said,
1: earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Do we have it? Jude is not in the least bit afraid of what people are going to think about what he writes, of the repercussions
0: from his very powerful confrontational letter, because he's about to meddle. He's about to meddle with a lot of people. All right? He knows that some who sided with the false teachers who have already been corrupted and and deceived by them are going to to need a jolt, a, a punch to bring them to their senses. He loves them enough to tell the truth. Don't tell me. If you love somebody, you don't tell them the truth. If you love them, you do tell them the truth. Now, first he addresses himself to the genuine believers in the church who he calls Beloved. Then he informs them that when he first sat down to write, he's honest with us. I love this about Jude. He says, when I first started to write, I had a whole different topic in mind. I was just going to write about the common salvation,
1: our our wonderful salvation. That's where I was going with this letter till suddenly the Holy Ghost took hold of me. Beloved, verse 3, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common
0: salvation, That's how it was going to start. But look at the second half of three. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend. Everybody say this with me now. Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. What was under attack? The faith
1: that was once delivered to the saints. Not any faith. The faith. The true believers here are called to battle. What kind of a battle? A truth battle. A doctrinal battle. A theological battle. A battle light with dark. Right with wrong. Truth with deception. We're called to that battle. I am,
0: you are. We are. And if you don't like doing that, you're in the wrong church. Because I fully intend to bring it to this culture. Oh, yes. Right, Pastor Brian? Yes.
1: The Living Bible puts it this way Stoutly defend the truth. The NLV
0: says, Fight hard for the faith. The message says, Fight with everything you have in you. The Amplified,
1: Fight strenuously. You get the idea that it's a little bit of a battle? To the death. He's calling for a down-to-the-mat fight. For the faith.
0: The faith. Now, the word contend means to contend about an issue like a combatant. It's a wrestling term. The word earnestly is added to relay the intensity needed for the fight. Not only are you going to have to wrestle to the mat, where somebody is going to have the count spoken over them, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and then there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. Somebody's going to be on the mat as a loser. Somebody's going to be standing as a winner. And he said, I want you to passionately fight for the faith and everything that pertains to the faith. And don't allow liars and deceivers, false teachers, false prophets, false this and that to to warp it twist it, steal it,
1: demean it, uh, undermine it, water it down. If you had $10,000 in the bank, and and I told you tonight, I know for a fact that in 30 minutes, somebody's
0: going to be there to get your money. How long would you sit here?
1: I believe you'd be going home and getting that self-defense mechanism you've got,
0: the, the, whatever it is you've got, and you'd be headed up to the bank to guard your money. He says way more than that. You've got to guard the faith if you're a true believer. Now, what does the faith mean? I know some of you are thinking, well, I, I don't really know what that means. It means the complete truth of the New Testament.
1: The complete truth of the New Testament. The entire body of belief surrounding the Christian
0: faith. Here's some examples. The truth of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. The truth that all the apostles taught.
1: The truth that all the gospels tell. The truth of God's plan of salvation from
0: Genesis to Revelation. Everything leading up to, surrounding, and going past the life, death,
1: burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the faith. The faith. All the New Testament teaching, the morality, the ethics,
0: Everything that the New Testament teaches about life and living and anything and everything, all of it, because it's all the Word of God, fight for it, because it all is wrapped around the person who is the central focus of the entire Bible, Jesus. Are you with me? In other words, you don't just fight for Jesus, you fight for the truth that
1: came from Jesus. The faith once for all delivered. All right? All right?
0: Nothing needs to be added to it. Nothing needs to be subtracted from it. It's delivered, period. It's done. That faith, you and I as believers are called to guard
1: and protect and fight for to the mat. I wonder how many churches are doing that. I wonder how many churches are doing that. You know, I don't have anybody hardly ever
0: come up to me and saying, you are so eloquent. No. But here's what I do have people say to me. Thank you for sticking with the word. Now, now, I'm not patting myself. I'm not. But I'm telling you, that's a dying breed in our day. Because these days, you get motivational seminars and you get a bunch of fluff. You get things that you wonder, where'd that come from? But what about just Heaven, hell, the cross, the blood, salvation, the one-wayness of Jesus. The non-negotiable terms for salvation. How about eternal life? Okay, so these things are under
1: attack in our day, dearly beloved. Next, Jude describes the tactics of these false teachers. Let's look at some of the
0: tactics. How they approach their modus operandi. First, we note it's a stealth like approach. For certain men have crept. That gives me the creeps right there. Crep, creeps. Notice the modus operandi of the false teachers, to him the Gnostics, but for
1: us anybody teaching false, all right? They creep. Creeps creep. And once they creep, they've crept. All right?
0: So certain men have crept in.
1: So that means they infiltrate under the radar. They don't want to be noted, they don't want to be found out. They want to sneak in
0: and play the game and start sowing the seeds that they
1: know if we knew what they were doing, we wouldn't accept it. Paul talked about how, quote, false
0: believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Peter warned of men who would secretly, there it is, creeping, secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. These people don't come in through the front
1: door. They get into Christian universities, professorships, um, they use Christian vocabulary, Christian ease, Christian buzzwords and
0: phrases, praise the Lord, hallelujah, Jesus is the Lord, Jesus saves.
1: Christians speak, familiar to most believers. They know how to talk the talk. If you listen
0: closely, they're masters at redefining the terms. Now listen carefully. Please catch this, everyone. We gotta get smart. God gave us a brain to use, okay? False teachers, the good ones,
1: are good at redefining terms, words, phrases. They redefine words like
0: God. When a false, when some people say the word God, they don't mean what you think they mean by God. These days, they might be saying, oh, God's in everything and everything is God. And that's their God. When somebody says, oh, I believe in God, that means nothing as far as salvation. Because you want to know, well, what God? Define the term for me. What do you mean by God? Do you mean the sovereign creator, Elohim God of the Bible? Or are you talking about some God that is pantheistic, that you're a pantheist? You believe he's in every green tree and weed and creature, and he's in everything, and everything is in him, and it sounds so poetic, but it's false.
1: Their concept of God isn't yours. Sin. They'll redefine sin. Homosexuality.
0: The homosexual movement today has totally redefined the word. Homosexuality, according to them in the New
1: Testament, simply talking about temple prostitutes. Not men with men and women with women committing that which is unseemly and unnatural.
0: But no, no, he's only referring to temple prostitution. And that's how The word has been redefined. So when somebody says that in the homosexual movement, oh, well, um, that word in the New Testament, that's not what you think it means.
1: So you, you totally change a person's worldview by redefining the words they use and that they're familiar with. Faith has been redefined. Faith. When somebody says faith in our day, do they mean a force?
0: Do they, do they mean something that uh, is a force that you use to get what you want? Or does it mean the Hebrews 11.1 1 kind of faith? Because faith, for many people, has been totally redefined. Salvation mixed with works. Salvation, oh, I believe in salvation. If you this and if you that, and jump through this hoop and that hoop. So when they see salvation, they don't mean what you do. I'm saved by grace alone, not by works. Are you catching my drift? So the false teachers are masters. They're very good at, at speaking, very eloquent. Very persuasive, very likable. Very appealing to the eye and the flesh. But they will very carefully redefine terms until what you think about it, after listening
1: to them, is not what the Bible intended. So you've got to be real careful who's defining the terms for you. Their teachings always contain mostly truth mixed with a little bit of heresy to help it go down easier. Oh, they said all of this right, so... That little bit of wrong, no biggie, but it is a biggie. Their aim is to be accepted into the fold. Once they get into the fold, they infiltrate the church. Oh, brother so-and-so and and sister so-and-so and oh yeah, ha, ha, ha. They get positions of authority as teachers, administrators, pastors, all the places of authority. This is how
0: higher criticism, which was tearing the Bible apart instead of letting it tear you apart, which is what we're supposed to do. The Bible's supposed to pick you apart. You're not supposed to pick it apart. Let the Bible pick you apart. You'll be way better for it. Okay? But now, they, way back uh, at the turn of the 19th century, 1800s, later 1800s, when seminaries came into being, especially in Germany, they adopted this higher criticism thing of tearing the Bible apart, and it made its way across the water into American seminaries, and we began to turn out preachers who could not say,
1: "Thus says the Lord," because they weren 't sure if He said it, because all the terms have been redefined By the time the church wakes up to these things, it 's usually a day late and a dollar short. Jude describes their character. I'm going to close. Are y'all? I know that I've given you a lot.
0: Everybody alive tonight? Okay. All right. He says they're ungodly.
1: Well, Shazam, <laughs> they're ungodly. You think? Of course they are.
0: Who long ago were marked out for this condemnation? Ungodly men. This is not talking about backslidden. It's not talking about irreligious. It means they deliberately do things that God has forbidden. They are
1: against God. They have zero reverence for the sacred things of God. They're devoid of the fear of God. They don't
0: believe they're going to face the judgment of God. They have deliberately rejected the
1: truth. He goes further to point out that they're not only ungodly, but also unholy. Who turn the grace of our God into lewdness.
0: Lewdness means excess, um, lack of moderation, absence of restraint, lewd. Peter uses the very same Greek word to describe the filthy lifestyles of the Sodomites. They were lewd. And they were so bad in Sodom, it says every single day Lot's soul was vexed by what he both heard them say and saw them do. Every day his soul was vexed. I used to think, wow, that must have been so bad. I don't think it anymore. Because I almost feel that way. Well, not almost. I feel that way every day in
1: America. Look at what we're reading about. Look at what we're seeing. Our America swallow hook, line, and sinker. And it vexes you every day. Now, these false teachers use God's
0: grace as a license to sin. And not just morally, but in many other ways, they literally turn God's grace into something entirely different. They pervert the gospel of grace that should lead believers into holy living into an excuse for indulging the flesh.
1: And since we're now forgiven by grace, they say, we can live how we want. One of these kinds of false teachings quickly is really prevalent today, and it's called universalism.
0: Universalism. Universalism teaches this, and I've seen, I've seen powerful, powerful preachers fall to this that have just blown my mind. I said, you've got to be kidding me. You went with this? I can't believe this. Preachers I've talked to and spent time with.
1: Universalism teaches that Jesus died for the whole world on the cross. Hence, the whole world is saved. No matter how you're living,
0: no one's going to go to hell. No one's going to be judged. Christ's blood covers all. As crazy as that sounds, like I said, I've seen powerful preachers who now are on the dark side of nowhere, no congregation, because they started preaching this and teaching this, and they lost everything. Universalism. Universalism is just another form of lewdness. It's saying no matter how you live, Christ's blood covers you, so hey man, go live. Go do whatever your nasty flesh wants to do. And and and.
1: That's universalism. Because Christ's blood covers you. I've even debated them online. It's crazy. If that's.
0: Don't get me started. They're also unruly, and I've got this one last verse, and we're done. They deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These apostates deny the authority of the living God. And they openly deny, if not by word, by their lifestyle, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So they deny the only Lord God. Um, And these types of imposters are everywhere today. And it's unfortunate, it's sad. But why do we go over these things on Wednesday nights? Because I want you and all of our listeners out there on radio and social media I want you to to understand, the Bible says this would come. And where are you going to be? In Christ or out? In the ark
1: or out? Because there's no fence. If you think there's a fence, it's the devil's fence. There's no fence. You're in or you're out. And it's black and white. Pastor Jeff, that's so narrow. It's a narrow, narrow way. Um, let's stand together, can we? Now, how many of you say that was tough tonight, Pastor Jeff, but I needed that, and I, I love learning the Word of God. Amen?
0: Amen. That was about half of you. Yeah, I'm really encouraged. Thank you. No, so, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's hard to be excited about anything in 109 degrees. I know, but hell's a whole lot hotter than 109 degrees. And we need to. And I don't say that flippantly. Our nation is is in a world of hurt. So is the world. The whole Western world has just gone crazy. And the rest of it is under tyranny. So we need to take it to the world, the light of the gospel. How many of you can say, I was lost once, if not for the grace of God, amen, if not for the grace of God. Brian, come up and, and pray for us. And Ronnie, if we can just worship after the dismissal for a little bit. Uh, how many of you, if you got to go, I understand, but we're going to keep on singing after the official dismissal. If you want to stay and just worship a little bit, because maybe this is spoken to you and you need to pray. But um, amen. Go ahead, Brian. No, no, two things. I now tell them know. who you are in your church.
2: Oh, well, I'm Brian Jacobs. I pastor at Metro Blake's Family Church over here on the other side of Burleson, and we're 18 years old. Uh, How old? Oh, the church is 18 years old. <laughs>
0: Happy birthday to you.
2: I think it's exciting. Just, just, just think about this for just a second. On a Wednesday night, you come here and you're able to sit in a, a message like this and reach 67 nations. I think you ought to take a whole new approach to Wednesday night, Pastor Jeff, because I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about us as a church family, to think that you come here for an hour of power, basically, and that you participate. As a pastor, it's real important that you you come and you say, well, Pastor Brian, I'm tired, i worked all day, and I've come here. I understand that, but you come into an atmosphere like this, where this man has prepared this kind of teaching. I mean, there's a lot of churches out there where Wednesday night is where ministers just go through a couple of points. And dismiss. I mean, this is transformational teaching. This is a man that's speaking under conviction. This is a divine assignment. And I think, you know, again, for you to participate and anticipate, I mean, we have two things here at Turning Point. We have an international ministry as far as teaching, and then right upstairs, we have an international Bible school that I'm a participant of. He and, goes to SUM. Uh, I go to SUM. And I think it's a tremendous... This is not just a church on Interstate 35 going through the motions. We are impacting the world here, and I think that's the perspective I have. I mean, I deeply admire and respect Pastor Jeff and admire the gift that God has placed within him. And I think it's a privilege for us to to assemble on Wednesday night because if, if you think that what you have here is just sort of normal and routine, uh, it's just you need to come with me to some other places. I went to 316 churches before I started this one, and there's probably only three Jeff Wickwires. One of them just went to heaven, and his name was Charles Stanley, a oh, man I had the privilege of meeting and knowing. Wow. And the other teacher is Jeff Wickwire. And, um, there's another man that I respect that has an international ministry. But I'm telling you what, this is rare. And uh, I just want to pray tonight, pray over you, and I just want you to step back. Sometimes we get so used to things that we sort of uh, go through the motions and don't appreciate things, and I am very appreciative of this man and this church and this church family. And thank you for your giving. Thank you for your support, and I got one thing I want to pray and I want to give to as a church. We want to help him, and if he's with 67 countries, Pastor Jeff, they're what they call the six to nine window translation. So that means we need to find six to nine translators or the ability to translate this message into those languages. Because when you speak their own language, you're going to make an even greater connection. And then we can also, through our printed facilities here, learn how to take some of this material and turn it into, you know, the material they need for the languages. Because we have a Bible school upstairs that's connected to these nations that this radio ministry is impacting. You put those two things together and we are making a divine impact right here on Interstate 35. Thank you. If you'll join with me, I want to join with you, him, and let's get this accomplished and make 2023 our greatest year yet, even though Satan's doing all these crazy things in the earth and all this craziness like he mentioned. And by the way, thank God. I'm sorry, but I got just 10 more seconds. Thank God for a man that has the boldness. He has more boldness than I do to talk about homosexuality. Do you know that? <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I confess. I confess. I sort of tiptoe around that. <laughs> And I'm sitting over here. Hang on, I'm going to give it to you right now. <laughs> I am sitting over here thinking, my God, that man is bold, and uh, thank God for him. Thank God for a man that would stand up and preach now, right is right.
0: I will say, what's that? Everything else is coming out of the closet. We might as well come out of the closet, that's a true. right? That's the truth. Come on, that's the truth. I mean, because because right. the world is being very bold face. And, but Christ was bold. Right. Paul was bold.
2: Absolutely. Right? Well, Pastor Jeff, I came back. I this saw Sunday t- is
0: going to be all over
2: you. Oh, amen. <laughs> Why I received that. Hey, listen, I think You know what? I walked in the, I walked there back a while ago. I'm sorry to say this. I walked back there a while ago and with his new hairstyle, I think he looks like Moses now. (laughs) We do have Moses. Charlton Heston is in the house. (laughs) And I want to tell you something. Charlton Heston was my, he's my hero. I'm telling you what. He was Moses. Okay. And thank God for you, Pastor Jeff. Listen, no, seriously, I, 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 I was just in a minister's conference with about 250 guys. And I was with the largest church pastor in Oklahoma. And I'm telling you what, they are not going to say it like they're saying it right here on Wednesday night. And so we thank God for that. Father, we just praise you tonight for the gift that you have called this church to do as far as a divine assignment. We thank you. We're here not to lift up a man. We're We're honoring a man's obedience to you. Jesus, you're the reason why we're here. You told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we thank you right here at Turning Point Church, SUM Bible College, all our ministries, our trip to Peru this week. We thank you, Lord, Lord. that we are on assignment to preach your gospel. I'm asking you need to give Pastor Jeff wisdom on how to take these messages to these 67 countries in a way that's unique and captures who you really are. I thank you for the boldness of the message tonight that as it goes out through the radio and goes out through the printed page as it goes out through every social media we have here, I thank you that people are confronted and challenged by the fact of who we are in you and who we're supposed to be in you. Thank you for the revelation tonight of the book of Judas. He teaches us continually I thank you, Lord God. May it peel back off the pages, and may we see it more clearly. I Amen. thank you for every person in this room and those watching and those listening. Yes, I thank you for strengthening their spirit, bringing refreshing to their soul, and I thank you that we are destined to win these battles because Jesus Christ is Lord. And we give you the praise for it uh, in Jesus' name. Let's Amen. pray,
0: Johnny. Who all's going to Peru? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, Connor and you and Jonathan. Y'all come on up and we're going to send you off to Peru. Because you leave Sunday, we won't see you in church. Right. So everybody put a hand up towards them. They're going to be eight days in soul winning with uh, Light of Life International, Stephen Evans. There's going to be thousands coming to Christ. Go ahead, Brian. Father,
2: we just thank you in the name of Jesus, first of all, for the Psalm 91 over them as they travel. We thank you again for a safety, but we thank you not now if we pause and pray for the anointing of the Lord to be upon them. As they minister, we thank you for that the spirit of the living God rises up big within them. We thank you for that anointing that breaks yokes. We thank you for people being saved, delivered, healed, and set free, and we thank you for transformation that we here at Turning Point are an international church, and we're sending people out in the anointing of international ministry in jesus name thanking yes, you Lord. for signs and wonders yes, and miracles Send and the out, supernatural Lord. continuation of jesus God. ministry yes, in jesus mighty in name. Jesus name amen jesus amen. Name.